don't subscribe to the old school way, nor the new school way, only the optimal way. The 80-20 Baseball Experience with Coach Ball. Welcome to the 80-20 Baseball Podcast, the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass. This is Coach Bo. Great to have you guys here. Just a reminder before we get into this, I'm going to try to keep these episodes at 30 minutes unless I'm doing those intermittent interviews. I'm trying to keep it at 30 minutes. I think that is a great length. And I think we do a good job of getting a lot of information in in just 30 minutes. With that said, I will be infusing information and strategies and tips into these episodes as we move forward that align with the part of the year that we're in. So like right now, for youth baseball especially, and even high school baseball, this is early preseason. This is early preseason. And then you've got preseason, which is December, January, February, depending on what part of the country you're in, the weather, but December, January, February, that's your preseason, and then you have your in-season, and that's going to you know, shift a little bit. Some of that, I know the seasons have been moved back or adjusted because of COVID, but what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to stay with the seasons, early preseason, the preseason, the in-season, that align with the strategies align with the time of year, so you can use it and plug some of the content or a lot of the information in, and it's applicable immediately. I will be putting out things that come up, I think, in the baseball community, things that are kind of getting talked about out there. I will bring those up, address those if I feel like those need to be addressed or a different angle needs to be taken. Or if I recommend, yes, absolutely double down on whatever it is that's kind of being pushed out there by a lot of the good resources in the baseball community. Today, we're going to talk about what baseball should be used for, what youth baseball, especially high school baseball, should be used for first and foremost. Part two, hitting approach. And part three, ingredient number six for designing elite drills. All right, part one, coaches coaches, baseball and youth sports, and even up through high school, maybe college and beyond, college and pros, it falls under a different umbrella, into a different category. But youth coaches, from the time they start at 5, 4, 3, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, you, whatever it is, all the way through high school, for almost every single player should be used as a, baseball should be used as a vehicle, first and foremost, as a vehicle that helps to prepare our youth, our young adults for the real world disguised as an enjoyable game. It should be a platform to get our players, our youth, our kids, the young adults, the teenagers in our society better prepared for the real world in a way that's a lot of fun, in a way that's fun and in, in disguised in, kind of in a game. So baseball, the most important thing we should as adults use it for is a fun training ground for life. Do not forget this, please. That's the number one goal. And I'll tell you what, if you do it right, you will win more also. If you're in it only to win, And it's not about developing and focusing on preparing our players, our youth, our young adults, our teenagers for the real world. Then you need to get out. I'd rather teams be run like Sandlot. I'd rather the the kids just, you know, drop the kids off. Maybe a parent supervises and nothing, you know, happens dangerous. And then let the kids just practice because they'd be better off. They'd be better off. All right, coaches, the majority, if not all of what you're doing needs to be wrapped into or wrapped around the philosophy, the mindset, the paradigm that you're using youth sports in this case, baseball, and even up through you high school coaches, you are using it first and foremost 
as a vehicle to get players more prepared for life ahead. The great thing is, is that it's disguised as an enjoyable game. So it's just a fun learning ground. It's a fun learning environment. But let's not forget what the purpose truly should be. That doesn't mean you should go out there and try to lose. I'm not saying that. All right. And most of you that have listened to me for a while, you know, it's not it's not about either or. It's not a, it's not mutually exclusive. With that said, I just wanted to remind you, coaches, Keep that first and foremost whenever you're out there, whenever you're not sure what to say, or if you get a little frustrated or angry, or you need to just know what the next step is in your coaching, first and foremost, it needs to be, is this something that's going to get them better prepared for life? Coddling your players is not going to get them better prepared for life. Not following through on the rules you've set forth is not going to get them better prepared for life. You're, set, you're, you're setting them back. Putting winning ahead of everything else, especially when it involves things that cross the line of cheating, but just in terms of playing players that don't hustle, but they're talented, playing players that don't show up to practice, but they're talented, you're sending the wrong message. And in life, those kids are going to get run over. Those kids are going to get steamrolled by life for the most part. So first and foremost, baseball coaches, go out there, make the baseball community better. It's about using it as a vehicle to get them better for life. I know all this stuff, most of it's all about getting players ready for college, getting a scholarship, playing pro. I did that. So you know what, guys, that's very, very few. And even those players, the things that I've taken out of professional baseball and college baseball, some of the most important stuff in high school sports, especially playing different sports like football and basketball, which were extremely demanding. The number one thing I got out of that was toughness, following rules, discipline, not doing what I wanted to do, getting up early for practice, pushing through, respecting authority, respecting and taking criticism without folding like a beach chair. That's what a lot of these kids nowadays, they fold like a beach chair because they haven't, they've been coddled or the talent is what matters to the coaches for the most part. No, let's get rid of all that. I would rather youth leagues have way fewer coaches and let kids go out there and have a mom in the stands or a dad in the stands who's doing stuff on the laptop, working, but just keeps an eye out on safety, making sure nothing's going on or there's no fights or, you know, some safety issue going on with the drill or whatever. And just let the kids practice because it actually probably get a lot better and it would be a lot better for them in the long run. Now, there's so many of you great coaches out there, though, that understand the importance of using youth sports, baseball in this case, first and foremost, as a training ground for life. Not a training ground to win the next game necessarily, but as a training ground to a better life. All the things that, and to kind of finish up what I was getting at there about my childhood and and youth sports, and this is not just with me. I don't think it's anecdotal. I think this holds true across the board for almost every young player. The things that are going to last them when they're 40 and 50 years old and they get into the real world. And the things that are going to last them is not that push to win, 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 win. Yes, competitive, but competitive with oneself. It's not about the scoreboard as much as it is about all the things that build and all the all the stuff, the foundational stuff that helps players succeed in life on a lot of levels, which includes winning on the scoreboard, but more importantly, winning with all the fundamentals and the foundational components. So, so important that we never lose focus of that in the youth baseball community. It's about making the players, the kids, and teenagers in a lot of cases, better prepared for life, not just the game coming up on Saturday. Now, speaking of getting ready for the game on Saturday, hitting approach. There's three approaches hitters should have. 
I've summed up, I've simplified all the confusion, all this years and years and years and the plethora of discussion when it comes to hitting approaches. I'm going to take off some of these elite pro hitters, major league guys, elite, elite, who have just crazy scouting reports. Okay, I'm going to put those guys aside, but for 99.9999% of all baseball players, that's not you. All right. So I'm going to put those guys aside. So don't go, well, you know, I don't want, I don't, I don't like, don't email me and say, well, well, I know uh, Joey Votto does this on a three. Okay. All right. Let's put all those guys aside and let's talk about the 99.9999% of all baseball players. You need three approaches and only two of them involve actually a swing or, or preparing to swing. Plan A, as I call it, you can call whatever. Plan A is used when the count has zero or one strike. So less than two strikes, you're in plan A. And here's the approach. Here's what you're doing. The batter's only going to swing at a pitch that can be hit hard, at a pitch that can be driven. All right, driven may be in the gap. It may be driven over the shortstop's head, over the second baseman's head. It may be driven off the wall. It may be driven over the wall. It may be driven down the line. It may be driven the other way hard, right? Say a right-hander gets a pitch up, but it's a little out. He's driving that pitch. He might drive it down the right field line. A pitch that can be hit hard, a pitch that can be driven. So less than two strikes, less than two strikes. So when there's one or two strikes, the batter will only swing at a pitch that can be driven, a pitch that can be hit hard. Driven hit hard, meaning that you're not going to just slam it right into the ground. Again, I don't want to get over over coaching with this launch angle, but definitely something that can be driven. That may be something that's a line drive, that one hops through the infield, one, one bounces through the infield hard. Batters will get to know this feel. They're looking for pitches that they can drive and hit hard. They're going to get used to it. If you work this in batting practice and you coach it after every single pitch almost so that's it. Plan A. Less than two strikes. Batter's only swinging at a pitch that can be driven. Not strikes. It's not about strike zone discipline with less than two strikes. It's not about strike zone discipline with less than two strikes. Let's get, Hitters should not be focused on strikes. That's the pitcher's job. The hitter's job is not to throw strikes. It's not to assess strikes. That's the umpire and the pitcher's job. The hitter's job with less than two strikes is to drive the ball. Why would you hit the ball where you can't hit it hard? Why would you swing at a pitch you can't hit hard? I mean, you have eight guys out there on defense. You got a catcher behind. You got nine guys going against you. Doesn't make a lot of sense. You are going up there as a hitter. You're not up there. trying. I see this. All I see major league coaches talking about this. Hey, strike zone discipline, strike zone discipline. With two strikes, yes, but I see it talked about with less than two strikes. And that's that's just, a, to me, the mindset, that's not how it should be done. And I think if you think about it, and most of you had started clicking, you're like, yeah, I get it. Yo, Coach Bo, you're right about this because this is just how it is. It's not about my way or that way. It's just about the best way. That's what this is all about. 80-20 baseball is about giving you the best way. I think this is the absolute best and the most simplified way and the best way to go up there and have a hitting approach. I'm not talking about swings. I'm not talking about like where your elbows at, feet, timing. Okay, that's a, I consider that something a little bit separate. That's more physical rather than a mental and, and, and a visual thing. We're talking mental and visual here. So hitter is looking for a pitch that's coming in. When the pitch is coming in, it's something that can be driven hard with less than two strikes. That may be a hanging breaking ball. That may be a change up that's up. Typically, it's going to be pitches up. Now, I know Mike Trout and then there's certain hitters that crush pitches down. So if you have a hitter that crushes pitches in the lower part of the zone or lower part of the hitting zone, then go ahead and yeah, they're going to get the go ahead. Each hitter is going to know where they want the pitch and where they really crush pitches. And that's something they're going to feel out in batting practice. So when you're working with them and you're telling them, you know, it's really simple feedback. Did they swing? Did they hit the pitch hard or did they not? Sure, there's going to be pitches that they just missed and things. It's not always going to be like, it could be like you could get 10 pitches in your hitting zone, like in your zone where you like the hitter gets it right where they usually crush it. They're not going to 
crush all 10, but over time you'll see a pattern of pitches and they'll feel it out, that pitches that can be hit hard, and then they start to lay off the pitches that they know they can't drive because they've seen it in batting practice and with less than two strikes. Again, in batting practice, you should never, in my opinion, you should never just throw fastballs. It should always be a mix of pitches, typically a ratio that matches the players that you're going to pitchers you might face coming up, or typically the pitcher, you know, nothing nothing better than like a 3-1-1, three fastballs, one, or you could go a 2-1-1, two, one, one, two fastballs, one off speed, like a changeup and a one breaking ball or a slider or something like that. I think it should be, always be randomized. Batting practice should be randomized unless you're really working on something really acute, specific swing problem. And there's just a lot of, you know, the, the players just really struggling, like a really terrible hitter, then maybe, yeah, then maybe you just serve them up some fastballs to get some kind of confidence going. But after that, it should be randomized. And the hitters, hear me on this, the hitters should know if they're in plan A, which is less than two strikes. You can call whatever, plan one, plan A, plan whatever you want to call it. Name it after your team mascot. Plan A, less than two strikes. They should know if they're in plan A or they should just know the count. Less than two strikes here. Every batting practice round, the hitters should know or be told there's two strikes or less than two strikes. And there's so many bad two strike approaches. There's so many bad less than two strike approaches. And the coaches, are, hey, you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta have a better two strike approach. You gotta know what you know early on in the count, early high. If you're ahead in the count, you gotta look. For, we gotta practice it. We gotta practice it. Plan B is with two strikes. Plan B, or you can call it plan two or plan whatever, is used with two strikes. The batter is looking to swing at any pitch in the strike zone or within a few inches of the strike zone. So this is where strike zone discipline, but I don't like the word discipline. I think this is strike zone knowledge comes into play. Plan B, plan B, all right, or plan two. Plan two is a good one. Hey, plan two, right? Now you know that it's two strikes. That's a good way to call it. Thinking about it now, plan A would be my lesson two strikes. Plan two would be my two strike approach. Kind of gives it like a nice consistency with number two. Plan two is with less than two strikes and the batter is looking to swing at a pitch in the strike zone or within a few inches of the strike zone. Now in youth baseball, you might need to expand it to three or four inches, but here's the catch. Here's the problem. Now you're really playing. It's kind of a catch 22. You know, you swing at it. Now you're, you know, it's really difficult to hit or you might not hit it. Better off taking a chance with the umpire. I think that's something as they get older, within a few, within a few inches of the strike zone is always, I saw, I don't know who it was, a major leaguer, uh, take a pitch on it was an all-star and I'm trying to draw a blank on his name he took a pitch it was an inch off the plate yeah in the the vertical rectangle on the tv it was outside of the vertical rectangle it wasn't in the strike zone the technical strike zone but it was one inch away and he started arguing with the umpire and I thought you know he's technically right but he should not have let that pitch go by that pitch was one inch from the strike zone one inch at 95 miles an hour he can't tell me he knows for sure that's in or out all the time one inch away from the strike zone and i mean one inch not two three inches it was one inch he's got to put a swing on that he's got to put a swing on that i think that's something he got a little upset at the umpire you know technically it wasn't a strike but also if i'm the coach saying hey that's one inch from the strike zone with two strikes you gotta you gotta put it you gotta put the bat on you gotta put some wood on you gotta put some metal on that ball or at least good good attempt now with two strikes you're looking to swing. Now you become some player or a hitter that's looking to know the strike zone and not take a pitch in the strike zone or within a few inches. And you're looking to swing as hard as you can. If you in plan A, if you get fooled, I'm gonna go back to plan A. If a hitter gets fooled on a changeup or a hitter gets fooled on a breaking ball, fooled, that doesn't mean if they sit back on a breaking ball. Sitting back and, and, and pushing the hands and, and holding the hands back a little bit on a breaking ball and things like that is totally awesome. If a hitter gets fooled in plan A, I would teach them to swing through it. 
I would never want, I never would want to see, I never want to see hitters in plan A, less than two strikes, slow the bat up to make contact. It's not about making contact. It's about scoring runs. And hitters and offenses that look to go up there and make contact with less than two strikes do not score as many runs. They don't produce as many runs as offenses that look for better pitches. They'd rather swing through that first pitch changeup. They'd rather swing through it and live to see the next pitch because it's better to be up there with one strike than it is to be on the bench as a hitter with one out for your team already. Now, in plan B, you're looking to swing as hard as you can. The great major league hitters, I mean, I've seen some, I've seen some, I mean, I saw Ronald Acuna hit a two-strike pitch the other day, like 490 feet, just an incredible, incredible distance. It was two strikes. So was he up there protecting? No way. No way you hit a ball that far. No way you hit a ball that far if you're in protect mode. Sure, if that pitch was off the plate a little bit, or down a little bit below the zone, sure, he might have, he might definitely might not have been swinging like he did to hit it 495 feet. Remember, and as a pitcher that played all the way through college and professional baseball, you're not always hitting your spots. And even the great pitchers, pitchers that have that have far better accuracy than I ever had, those guys are missing. All right, they're missing with two strikes. They're hanging balls. They're throwing cookies with two strikes. So if a hitter goes up there in protect mode, they're going to get a pitch that should be driven. They're going to hit it a weak pop up or a soft ground ball, something that it was a mistake and it should have been capitalized. So if they go up there in a default mode, I'm looking to protect. What happens when you get a meatball? Don't assume the pitcher is just going to pinpoint. They're not all painters, all right? Don't give them credit. They're not all Picasso up there. So with two strikes, hitters are looking to swing as hard as they can. But that may they may they with two strikes, they may get fooled on a changeup. Then they got to slow down. They got to put the ball in play. There's a caveat to like a double play situation. You know, I don't think I would even teach this with youth hitters, even high school hitters. I would say like, oh, well, if you get fooled on a changeup with two strikes, with less than two outs and a runner on first base, like a double play situation, it's better to swing through it rather than roll over and hit a ball into a double play. In other words, rather to strike out, take one out rather than roll over and then get into two and get two outs. So I wouldn't get into that unless you're just an elite, elite hitter, major league guy. I think you just stick with plan two. You're looking to put the ball in play with less than two strikes. But your first your first reaction is if it's a cookie, something in hard to drive it, okay? And then from there, you kind of work the fringes of the zone, put the ball in play, make contact, make the pitcher throw another pitch. Now, what I call plan take. This is the take approach. It's used with zero strikes. It's used with zero strikes when the hitter wants to see a full pitch before moving to plan A. It's used when the hitter is facing an atypical pitcher or maybe facing a pitcher they've never seen before. Now, if it's a pitcher you've never seen before, but he's a typical pitcher, not a funky delivery, very normal conventional delivery, maybe a right-handed throws pretty much over the top, three-quarter, whatever. It's very conventional. The speed is very conventional. I don't see a reason to go up there and take a pitch. But if it's a sidearm pitcher or somebody that has a funky delivery, Josh Hader, you know, things like that, these funky deliveries, definitely it's not a bad idea to go up there and go into plan take on the first with zero strikes. You don't want to go up there with with one strike and you don't want to take plan take with one strike because you don't want to put yourself, you don't want to take a pitch and go to two strikes. You never want to do that. So plan take is a predetermined take for the hitter. And this can be put on by the coach, also by the hitter, can go up there and plan take in a situation that you're not just going up there to take because you feel like it. It's like, oh, it's a Wednesday game against the last place team in league. I'm just going to go up there and take. I have no idea, no plan behind it. I'm just randomly taking a pitch. No, there should be a plan. You're taking a pitch because the pitcher is showing something that warrants you wanting to see the ball travel all the way through and watch it and kind of watch how it moves and, and time it up before you commit the swinging. Worst case, you get one strike. Best case, you got a ball on you. Major League pitchers throw a ball like 37% of the time, 38% of the time. Little League, probably a little more. Middle or high school, it's not, it's not much better. 
So even if you do go up there and you take it in a, in a, in a situation that warrants it, you got a 40% chance on average of being ahead 1-0. Now, do not telegraph your take. Don't go up there and act like you're just watching. Obviously, sell it. It should be for a hitter should use that plan take to get their timing. Everything should feel the same to them. They're just not swinging. They've committed to not. They've committed before the pitch to not swinging. It's more of a reconnaissance mission. It's more of a intel mission than it is a swing mission. So there's plan A, less than two strikes. Hitters are swinging at pitches that can be driven, and they're swinging full speed. They're swinging not over, not swinging 110 percent. They're swinging hard, no less than like 90, 95 percent. They're looking to drive the pitch. Plan two, or you could call it plan B, used with two strikes. The batter is looking to swing at any pitch in the strike zone or within a few inches of the strike zone. Plan take, the third plan, is one that doesn't involve any swing. It's basically a reconnaissance at intel. You're, you're trying to get some information, some timing. You're trying to see it. And don't just go up there with, you know, willy-nilly, I'm going to take this pitch. It should be against an atypical pitcher, maybe atypical velocity, slow or fast, atypical delivery, something that's just a little different, okay, non-conventional, because you want to see it. Or maybe you haven't hit in a long time, okay? There are certain situations where it just would probably be better. You're playing the percentages. It would be better to see a pitch than it would be to swing at a pitch and go from there. All right, plan A, plan B, or slash plan two, and plan take. Now, you probably couldn't tell here, but the enthusiasm for this is is through the roof for me. All right, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff I share with you. I feel like a lot of this stuff is, this is something that I did. A lot of the good stuff I share with you, I've taken and combined from a lot of different great resources, all the great coaches that have come before us, coaches that are in the game right now, and I've pieced and I've kind of compiled it together, curated it. But this is something that I didn't curate. This is something I didn't get from anybody. This is something I just sat down. I go, you know, over a course of a couple years, I said, this hitting approach is talked about a million different ways, but there's got to be the absolute simple best way to do it. There's got to be an optimal way to do it. There has to be. The game of baseball hasn't changed for a hundred and some odd years. I mean, yeah, little things change, but the mound distance, the direction of the mound, the, the angles of the bases, the rules of the ba- of the game are, I mean, are almost unchanged. It's, it, you know, physics is physics. So there's a lot of things that are not changeable. If you work for SpaceX, there's, there's a lot of, you know, or I should see even like a technology company, it's always changing. It's always changing you know, with the web and things, because there's so much, baseball is not exactly like that. There's definitely some change and some pivots, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm fired up about this hitting approach. I couldn't vouch for anything more than anything else I've shared with you. I mean, this is at the very top of the list as far as without a doubt, certainty, this is the way to go for hitters, plan A, plan B, or slash plan two, plan take. It covers everything else. All right. It covers everything else. So you don't go up there. What are you looking for in a three, one count? Oh, one first pitch. No, no, no. You shouldn't be up there going, you got to swing more first pitch or swing less first pitch. The pitcher dictates when you swing. You're just ready to swing. The pitch dictates, not the pregame pep talk that says, hey, we're taking too many first pitches. Well, all of a sudden you roll into that game, the next game, and that pitcher is not throwing strikes first pitch. So what are you going to do? Are you going to swing, right? Are you going to swing because you had this pregame pep talk that said, hey, we're not swinging at enough first pitches or we're taking too many strikes first pitch. Well, maybe you're taking too many strikes, but that shouldn't be, let's go swing more. That should be let's get back to plan a let's know and understand what a pitch is that we can drive and let's swing at that pitch and drive it all right let's not take with plan a what you don't want are your hitters taking pitches that are pitches they can drive not necessarily taking strikes they may take strikes in plan a that's fine but what you don't want is them taking pitches that they should be driving. In plan two, plan B, they should not be taking strikes, but they should not also go up there in protect mode automatically in plan two slash plan B. And use plan take when you need that extra pitch or maybe even a couple pitches. If they throw a ball on the first one, maybe in plan take, you watch another one. So worst case, you're at 1-1 after that. All right, ingredient number six for an elite drill. Here we go. Ingredient number six 
to make the elite drill. Perfect drill has eight ingredients. Here is ingredient number six. Last week, probably one of my favorite, my, I think last week was efficiency or last, our last episode, last podcast episode, episode 44 was efficiency. We talked about efficiency was the ingredient. That to me is the biggest competitive advantage sitting out there. Efficiency, more reps, more quality reps, but there's a lot of different parts than just efficiency. This one I think is completely understood. And I think coaches completely and, and fully can see it and, and see it when it's going on, but it's just a matter of keeping it top of mind and putting it out there. And that is ingredient number six for a perfect or optimal drill is competition. The key question you need to ask yourself coaches is how can this drill become a better competition? How can a drill become a healthy competition? How can we make every drill competitive in some way and a healthy competition? So I'm reading straight from my drill mastery guide section six. Here we go. Great players enjoy competing, and great coaches develop players that thrive in competitive environments. Games are competitions. Thus, coaches should create competitive practice environments to help players prepare to be successful come game time. A well-balanced practice will have both competitive parts and non-competitive parts. When setting up competitive practice drills, a few things must be kept in mind. A competitive drill, which keeps the whole team working together, is ideal. By keeping the entire team working together, the team competes as one cohesive unit. That's ideal. The one-team format mirrors the game environment. A second format, and this is probably a little more common, a second format involves groups of teammates competing against each other, and that too can be very effective. Do keep in mind, these split team competitions may lead to some divisiveness amongst teammates, so just keep in mind, keep that in the back of your mind as it's going on. However, and that's why I started off with how the key question is how drills can become or how to make drills a healthy competition. Now, back to the script. However, the pettiness can be minimized or eliminated by fostering a supportive, disciplined team environment from day one. A third competitive format involves splitting the team into individuals. All three of these formats will work well and the variations will keep practice fresh. Ideally, you're going with the entire team working together against the clock or something like that or, or score, a collective score, and that's ideal. But all three would work. Creating a practice environment that mirrors a game environment is a challenge. Many coaches find it difficult to replicate a game's intensity at practice. You can create an environment, a competitive environment on the field that can replicate very closely a game's intensity. The surest way to maximize the energy of practice is to infuse it with competition. At its core, pressure in sports is an intrinsic manifestation But since there's a really good chance none of our players have studied at a Zen monastery, their stress levels will surely rise during difficult game situations. Players are going to get stressed out. We can tell them there's no reason to worry, just stand them up. They're going to get stressed. There's going to be some stress level rise during the game. So therefore, if pressure is consistently built into practice, the players will develop to a varying degree a mental immunity to it. Competitions increase the level of intensity. Therefore, the more often players compete, the more they become desensitized to the stressful situations while learning to stay cool, calm, and collected in tough moments. Great players learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Speed up the learning curve by infusing your practices with healthy competitions. Now, the last paragraph. Along with adding game-like intensity, competitions add a heap of fun for the typical player. They're just a lot of fun. If they're designed correctly, competitions can be a ton of fun. The surest way to add enjoyment to any practice drill is to include competitive components to that that promote a healthy competition. If you've ever walked by a sports team practicing and the noise 
and the energy level is elevated, there's an excellent chance a competition is taking place. If over in the distance, a team is making a whole lot of noise, they're likely having fun competing. Not all, again, there's definitely some exceptions, but this is very true across the board. Competitions are an excellent strategy for any coach trying to make practice more enjoyable. Competitions increase the level of energy. They increase the enjoyment of the training. It's an ideal win-win practice scenario. Some coaching tips to keep in mind here. So here's four coaching tips to keep in mind. To decrease lingering bitterness or complaining, spend a minimal amount of time talking about the winners and the losers. Don't spend a lot of time talking about the winners and the losers. Be brief at the end of the competition. Be brief with your praise for the winning team. Don't criticize the losing team as losing should have already been tough enough. Quickly move on to the next part of practice. Send the message to the team that having fun and competing was goal number one. Tip number two, there doesn't need to be a prize or reward every time. And the losing team doesn't need to be punished with bear crawls or whatnot after every competition, although it's not a bad idea. It shouldn't be done after every competition. Competitions are an environment, an environmental construct, but they are mainly driven by extrinsic motivation. Tip three, never practice more than one hour without a competition. Even a brief competition can reignite your team's focus. So never more than an hour without a competition. Your your goal should be to just infuse competitions as often as possible in a healthy way. But if it's more than an hour and maybe an assistant coach can keep an eye on this or you're looking at your practice plan, if you go more than one hour without some kind of competitive component, you need to re, you need to reassess your plan. You need to infuse the competition into the practice. And maybe you just got to ad lib and throw one in some random fun competition to reignite your team's focus and energy. Tip four, avoid elimination tournaments or elimination type of drills. Nothing is worse than only a few players competing while the rest of the team sits around and does nothing. Instead, use ladder tournaments. And if you don't know what ladder tournaments are, very many of you are very familiar with how a ladder tournament works. If not, you can look it up and see exactly how it's run. You can see examples of ladder tournaments on YouTube. Instead of using the elimination type of drill or tournament or competition, use ladder style drills or tournaments or competitions, or even many competitions that restart every few minutes. All right, you wonderful coaches, parents, I love to see the number of listens every week going up. That fires me up. It's great to see that. If you have any questions, you can email me directly, coachbo at 8020baseball.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I usually try to put out something no less than four or five times a week. I try to put out things that are actionable things to help keep that paradigm moving forward to being a better coach and a better leader. And on Twitter, 8020-8020 underscore baseball, at 8020 underscore baseball. If you search on Vimeo, Coach Bo, or 8020baseball, there's going to be a showcase on there of 14 videos that just give a lot of good stuff to all you coaches. It's good to see that. I'm going to be putting more videos out as we move forward and get closer to, you know, into the preseason and to the season. A rating or, or a review of the podcast would be greatly appreciated. This does take a decent amount of time, and so a rating or review would be great. I love just sharing this with you. That's why I'm doing it. I want to share and get the baseball community better. I want to share all the wisdom that I've been given over the years and all the great coaches and all the great resources that I've taken in, and I'm trying to compile it. I'm trying to curate it and even organically create things that I think are even a step above maybe some of the things that have been out there or we've taken for granted over the years, and I'm trying to give it to the baseball community so the baseball community can be a much better place moving forward. So a review or a rating would be wonderful, much appreciated. You guys are awesome. And don't forget, 
The number one reason we're out coaching baseball is to be better for life. We just happen to be disguising it into a fun game of baseball. So that should always be number one is what I'm doing right now. Going to make these kids, these young adults, these teenagers better for life. It's a great way to do it rather than sitting there and lecturing them in, you know, in a lecture hall. You're out there playing a fun game and you can use it as a vehicle to prepare them for life. The hitting approach simplified down to three approaches. That's it. Three simple approaches. And the hitters know exactly what approach to use every single time they step up to the plate. And then part three of this episode, we discussed competitions as ingredient number six for an elite drill. This has been Coach Bo. You guys take care of yourselves. Have a great week. Take care of your families. Take care of your health. Make the baseball community a better place. And we'll see you in episode 46. And I have a great recommendation for you, an awesome recommendation for you, a great resource that I'm going to recommend. We'll see you there in episode 46. Take care. This has been the 80-20 Baseball Experience. This is a really good team, and so you have to earn everything you have against them and take opportunities when they present themselves. Take it to the field. 